Well, I don't know about you, uh, but I'm tired this morning. Can I get an amen in the house? Okay. I thought so. I thought so. And it's not just because I only had one cup of coffee this morning. That was a mistake, but that's not quite the type of tired that I'm talking about. No, I'm talking about the type of tired that cuts deep. Weary might be an appropriate word, I think. Friends, I am weary this morning. It has been, for me and my family, a long summer. I accepted the position of the chaplaincy here at Sterling on Wednesday, June 5th, and it was like setting the starting gun off. I've been, a, I've been in a dead sprint for all of June, for all of July, and all of August, informing my church that I was leaving, doing my best then to leave well, transitioning into a brand new job that I've never done before in a new organization, selling a house, buying a house, packing, loading, moving, unloading. Though I have to say, unloading was not as exhausting as it could have been. Where's the women's basketball team at? Hey. So you only get to clap and cheer if you came to my house yesterday. But about half of the women's basketball team showed up along with some RDs, along with TJ Ferry. Is TJ's at, uh, yeah, TJ's at American Idol with Kalasia. Everybody say, yay, Kalasia. Yeah. Jason Breyer came. Folks, I pro- Jason was there loading stuff into my house, and I appreciate all of you, right? But even with, even with all of the help yesterday, friends, I am weary. I'm burdened down by the weight of this transition. Now, don't get me wrong. I am glad that I made the choice that I did myself and my family. We are thrilled to be here, and we are incredibly excited to see what it is that God is going to do here in and among us at Sterling College. But, and I wonder, maybe you're with me. My excitement about the future does not guarantee my energy today. My excitement about the future does not guarantee my energy today. And I have a hunch that I'm not the only one in the room this morning that would agree with my admission of exhaustion. I don't know why you're tired, but I'm guessing that you are too. And if you are in agreement with me, then I have good news for you this morning. Well, actually, Jesus has good news for you. Here it is. Jesus' yoke is our rest. Jesus' yoke is our rest. Now, where do we find this bit of good news from Jesus? It comes to us in the book of Matthew chapter 11, and I'll have the verses on the screen so that you can follow along. We're going to begin in that chapter in verse 28. And Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. All you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I mean, I'm at the point, maybe you are too, where I will take rest anywhere I can get it, but maybe you're a touch confused as well. Why are we talking about eggs What does a fluffy omelet have to do with Jesus and rest? Well, I'm glad you asked because we're not talking about an egg yolk. That is quite a bit different. No, what Jesus has in mind is this, an ancient farming tool. Now, this might be foreign to us 
But it was not to Jesus' original audience. In fact, it is incredibly likely that as a carpenter, which we should never forget that Jesus spent 15 years on this earth as a carpenter, it's likely that Jesus would have made many of these in his carpenter's shop. Well, so what are they used for? Well, you'd hitch two oxen together to pull or to plow. Shoulder to shoulder, the two oxen would now share the load together. And when you had a young ox to train them up, you would yoke them to a seasoned ox. Little Billy, that's him on the right, he can't just do what he wants to do anymore. Not if he is yoked to someone else. Now, Billy might want to go this way or that way off course, but Big Bessie, that's her on the left, she says to him, nope, we can't do it. We have to go this way because I know how to plow and I am going to show you how to plow. And over time, slowly but surely, young Billy learns his purpose on the farm. Learns through submission to be just like the master. Which sounds great for oxen, sounds good for farmers, but why is Jesus talking about it? Why is Jesus inviting us into it? And how does the yoke connect to the new life? Because don't forget, we're in the middle of a teaching series called The New Life. This is message three. And importantly, vitally, we cannot forget what we learned in the first message. We discovered there that new life only comes through Jesus. Only through him. We cannot find new life anywhere else. And like it or not, the image, the picture of a yoke is how Jesus chooses to describe what the new life is like with him. The new life with Jesus takes place in his yoke. It is what you can expect if you decide to go his way, punch his ticket, join his team. Which leads me to to the question that we asked in the first message, right? The same one. Why? Why would anybody say yes to this invitation? A yoke doesn't automatically seem like a good thing. Why would anyone do it? And if we're asking that question, we're in good company because I guarantee Jesus' original listeners would have been asking the very same question. You see, the word yoke appears about 50 times in the Bible. And it is almost always used as a metaphor for oppressive submission. When you come across a yoke on the pages of your Bible, you are going to read about something that is almost universally framed in a negative light. The word yoke is used when Israel has a tyrant king or abusive enemies. In fact, even as Jesus is saying these very words, is extending this very invitation in Matthew 11, the Jewish people are yoked to Roman oppressors and they hate it. They were waiting anxiously for their Savior, who they are hoping will remove their yoke of Roman oppression. They're not looking to get into another one. Nobody in their right mind, at any point in history, mind you, wants to wear a yoke. Not them, not us. And then, surprisingly, confusingly, confoundingly, Jesus comes along and he invites us into his. Sure, yeah, yokes are mostly bad, Jesus says, but I bet you haven't tried mine. I bet you haven't tried wearing one with me. 
Because, folks, here is the punchline. Here's how to make sense of all of this. Here is why Jesus' invitation to his yoke is beautiful, not batty. Here is why it is helpful, not harmful. The truth is we are all wearing a yoke already. We are all wearing a yoke. We have all hitched our lives to something or someone. We are all learning how to plow the field of life Somehow, some way, we are being shaped, we are being formed, we are being led, we are being taught. You cannot escape it. You are in a yoke, I am in a yoke. Every person who has ever lived is in a yoke. We only get one question. What yoke are we going to choose? The question of whether or not you're in a yoke has already been answered for you. You are. Which yoke are you going to choose? So Jesus says, hey, you know what? My yoke is better. You, you submit to me in my yoke and you are going to find the rest that you so desperately crave. Which feels hard to believe, I know. So here's what I want to do. I want to compare yokes this morning. I want to put the yokes side by side. I want to compare the non-Jesus yokes of which there are many. That list is long, friends. I want to compare the non-Jesus yokes and I want to compare the Jesus yoke of which there is only one. Two non-Jesus yokes. Here's the first one. The yoke of romantic relationships. The yoke of romantic relationships. Now we could have broadened this point out and talked about any and all human relationships, friends, family, and certainly the principles will apply. But at this point in 2019, we have several generations and mine is included within this, we've got several generations who have been raised up on Disney. So we need to narrow our focus this morning to romantic relationships. Now, don't get me wrong. I love Disney as much as the next guy, right? And Disney is not entirely to blame, but they have contributed heavily to a dangerous and widespread belief that the highest pinnacle of human life is to find a romantic partner, fall in love, and get married. The Mount Everest of what it means to be a human, according to almost every single Disney movie that I've ever watched, is to find Prince Charming, to find the beautiful princess, save her, fall in love, get married, and live happily ever after. Now, please do not misunderstand me. Am I in favor of marriage? Yeah. I've been doing it for 10 years. Okay? Do I think that dating, engagement, and marriage are good and to be encouraged? Absolutely I do. Do you know that I performed my 20, 25th wedding anniversary? Not 25th wedding anniversary. Ceremony. I have brought couples up on stage, 25 of them. And I have said, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, whom God has joined together, let no one separate. 25 times I've done that. So yes, I am very pro-marriage. Marriage is a good. Of course it is. We find it on the earliest pages of our scripture given to us as a gift, a wonderful gift by a good God. Genesis 1 and 2. How could marriage not be anything other than good? But often when we turn to Genesis 1 and 2, I hear those verses mistaught, misapplied. 
It's almost as though we think what God said when he decided to create Eve was that it is not good for man to be single. It's almost as though we think that God said it is not good for man to be without a romantic partner, but he did not say that. You can turn and you can look. He said it is not good for man to be alone, which is a broader category. So yes, then he creates Eve. He marries them. He performs. God performs the first wedding ceremony. Yes, God thinks marriage is good and important, and so do I. But he didn't say it's not good for man to be single. He said it's not good for man to be alone. So every single one of us needs deep and abiding relationships. Yes. And many of us are going to get married. I already have, right? Yes, of course. But immediately and importantly, what we see from the earliest pages of Scripture is that God provides space for the single life and the beauty of the single life. And I think that's really important because did you know that Jesus never got married? We sort of skate over that like it's not a big deal sometimes. No one has ever been more fully human in the history of the world than Jesus and the man never married. So how can we say that the highest pinnacle of human life and experience is to find a spouse and get married? We can't. We shouldn't. It's limiting and it's damaging. Because here is the truth. Marriage is a wonderful gift but a terrible yoke. Marriage is a wonderful gift, but a terrible yoke. Now, we need both of these statements fully and completely. If we lose either one, we are in incredible danger. In my own life, marriage has been the most wonderful of gifts. God has used my marriage to Ashley to grow me and shape me in ways beyond what I ever could imagine. But what happens if I yoke myself to her in the sense of what Jesus is talking about? What happens if she becomes more important to me than Jesus? What happens if she becomes my literal everything, pushing Jesus out of his rightful place in the center of my life? I'll tell you, that was not a role that she is designed to play. That is not a burden that she can bear. If I do that to her, I will crush her. And eventually I'll be crushed too. The yoke of romantic relationships is one that leads to exhaustion, disappointment, and eventually death. Well, wow, Paul, that's a cheery thought. Thank you for that one. I know. I know. I, I am in it with you. I feel it with you. I'm with you. I feel it. This is tense. It's a little bit awkward. But if we do not use this space to talk about these things, let's pack our bags and go home. What are we even doing here? When I said that I want chapel to be compelling and relevant, I want to talk about things that I think impact your life. And I remember the romantic culture on this campus. Every fall when the new students arrive, ooh, maybe there is someone for me. And of course, we can't forget about ring by spring, amen? And again, I am not against, do not hear me saying that I am against romantic relationships. What kind of hypocrite would I be if that is what I were saying? Having found my wife here at Sterling College and given her a ring by spring. What kind... She said yes. 
What kind of hypocrite would I be if that is what I were saying? It's not. What I am against is yoking yourself, like what Jesus is talking about, yoking yourself to your boyfriend or your girlfriend, yoking yourself to your fiancé, your husband, or to your wife. Because, okay, this is going to be depressing. I'm giving you the heads up. This is how it ends for every couple that has ever lived. Eventually, one of them dies. Listen, here's the thing. It's like, hold on, hold on, okay? Enter into this with me for a moment, okay? This is true. At some point, one day, I am going to be at Ashley's funeral or she is going to be at mine. Unless we crawl into bed together and die together like the notebook. <laughs> but, I, but I just don't see that happening, right? All right, so... <laughs> Marriage is a wonderful gift, but it is a terrible yoke. Now, it would be incredibly easy to be depressed by this or to think that I'm really weird and like talking about my wife passing away and, and tune me out, okay? But don't do that because I want to share something else with you about Ashley's funeral. Now, if the Lord sees fit for her to die first, which is not happening. She is way healthier than I am. <laughs> now, if the Lord sees fit, for her to pass away first. Can I tell you something about that funeral? I will be terribly sad. I will be a blubbering mess, to be sure. But I will not be grieving that day as one who does not have hope. Because the wonderful, incredible, astounding news that we find in the new life that is possible in Jesus is that those who have chosen the yoke of Christ will one day be raised again to live forever with him and with others that have chosen his yoke to eternity. And we don't know how good that's going to be. Here's part of how we don't know how good it's going to be. The Bible tells us that I'm not going to be married to Ashley in the new heavens and the new earth, which if I think about it in one way wakes, makes me really sad because I'm hoping we go 70 years. We're 10 in. We got 60 to go, right? So when I think about it in a limited sense, from a human perspective, I get depressed that I'm not going to be married to her in the new heavens and the new earth. But all that really tells me is I don't know how good that's going to be. Because I can promise you this, when I get there, when we get there together, we're not going to be sad for one minute that we're not married to one another. Because that is how good the new heavens and new earth are going to be. Have you heard the one about the boy, right? He's, he's playing with chocolate in a little alleyway. It's dirty, it's dusty, and this little boy, he's never been to the beach. He doesn't know how wonderful it is. And it's one of those perfect beaches, right? It's got sand that's not too hot. It's got water that's clear. And he's playing with some mud and he's maybe got a little bit of chocolate. He's enjoying himself in his little alleyway. And his aunt and uncle come along and they live on the beach and they want to take him to the beach. But he turns them down because he doesn't know how good it's going to be. He doesn't know how great the beach is. He's content in his alleyway with his mud and his chocolate. That's pretty good. We're the boy in the alleyway. We don't know how good the new heavens and the new earth are going to be. It's going to be really good. Marriage is a wonderful gift, but it is a terrible yoke. Number two, I want to talk about the yoke of activities. Activities. 
Football, theater, choir, golf, forensics, SGA, soccer, debate, swimming, Highland singers, volleyball, praise band. You get the point. Activities. And everyone in the room fell quiet and became incredibly nervous, especially the coaches. Do I believe that activities are good and important? Of course I do. Sterling College literally would not exist if not for the teams and groups that recruited you to be here. We are a campus where the vast majority of our student body got recruited and is on scholarship for fill in the blank, something, you know. And beyond our activities here at Sterling leading to our survival and flourishing as an institution, I believe that they are good because they offer us opportunities to exercise the good gifts that our good God has given us. Here it is, activities are good gifts that give us a chance to use our good gifts. See how that works? This is important. Activities are an opportunity for us to honor the gifts and talents that God has given us, but we cannot forget the ending. Here it is. They are terrible yokes. They are terrible yokes, and here's why. It's really simple. At some point, the activity ends. And I'm not talking about the season or the tour, or, right? At some point, full stop, the activity ends. You stop playing football. You stop singing in the choir. You stop winning debate championships. And then what happens? What happens if you have made that activity your yoke? What happens if you have made it your literal everything? If you have built your entire life around the very function of that activity? What happens? Your life crumbles. It falls apart. Purpose is lost. Meaning is fuzzy. Existing seems difficult. Now, you don't want to hear it. You may not even be able to hear it right now because you are right in the thick of your activities. You still have years left to do them. You may not want to hear this, but the yoke of activities is one that eventually leads to exhaustion, disappointment, and eventually death because you cannot do it forever. Every activity eventually comes to an end. They make terrible yokes. And here's what else. Even before it ends, the activities themselves do not offer the meaningful rest that we all desire. Our activities, as good as they are, cannot ultimately satisfy us. They cannot give us what our hearts long for. And we see this to be true not just in our lives, but even from those who are at the very highest levels of activity. No, I'm not the biggest Tom Brady fan. But we cannot deny his greatness. It's not one ring or two or three or four. It's not even five. It's six. And who knows? He might get number seven this year. Right? (laughs) Wow, that was controversial. Okay. Check this out, though. An interview that Brady gave to 60 Minutes several years ago, three rings ago. This was after he won three Super Bowl rings. Now, what does he admit to? Can you go out to restaurants? If I have the energy to deal with, you know, putting a happy face on, sometimes I don't feel like that. Now, you seem a bit the reluctant star. Well, the problem is it's, you can't have one without the other. You can't have the football fame and not the other stuff. So, in a lot of ways, I've created this myself. (laughs) Just what you always wanted. (laughs) You're right. You're right. It has. And I didn't think it came with all the other baggage, though. The most eligible bachelor in America. Well, it's very flattering. 
but at the same time, I don't think I sleep any better at night. Being that, no way. Do you mean like alone or not alone? <laughs> what did you mean by that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. But with all that money, fame, and career accomplishments, we were surprised to hear this from him. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I thank God. It's got to be more than this. What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I love playing football, and I love being the quarterback for this team. And, but at the same time, I think there's a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to find. I wish I knew what the answer was, Brady says. I wish I knew what brought satisfaction. I wish I knew, he begs. And I am here to say this morning, Tom, I know. I know what brings satisfaction. I know what leads to life. I know how to find rest. And it is not because I am so smart and I figured it out, it is because Jesus told me. Jesus told me that there is only one yoke that leads to life. Jesus told me that there's only one yoke that provides satisfaction. There is only one yoke that gives rest, and it is not the rest of activity. Listen, I'm not hating on Brady. We all do this. Believe me. I know I do. Not with activities. Those are long gone for me. I was not good enough at any of them to keep doing them, right? My, activity ended, my activities ended many moons ago. But what about work? What about my job here as chaplain? Every day I am tempted to hitch up to the yoke of job performance. Am I doing well? Are people responding to me? Does President Rich think I'm doing a good job? And let me tell you from experience, work, like activities, is a terrible yoke. It is an awful master. It puffs me up with sinful pride when I do well, and it destroys me when I fail. Activities will do that to you as well. They will puff you up when you do well and you win, and they will destroy you and leave you despondent when you fail. And with work, eventually I'm going to retire. I'm not going to work a job forever. And what happens then if I have yoked myself to my job? Activities, work, relationships, all of them are good gifts. All of them are terrible yokes. And again, there is only one yoke that leads to life, and it belongs to Jesus. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, by comparison, is easy, and my burden, by comparison, is light. Does that not sound appealing to you this morning? Does that not sound like the best invitation you have ever received? We are all yoked to something or someone. Why not give Jesus a try? What do you have to lose? Learn from me. Learn from my mistakes. Learn from anyone older than you who has decided that Jesus' yoke is the best. Ask him about it. I guarantee they will tell you that the yokes that they tried failed them. And so they return to Jesus. That's just me. Now, maybe you want to. Maybe you want to try out Jesus' yoke where you can find your rest, but you don't know how. Here's how. 
First, to find rest in Jesus' yoke, say yes to it every single day. Do not forget, never forget, this passage in Matthew 11 is an invitation from Jesus. And what do you do with an invitation? You either say no to it, or you say yes, yes. Or, if it's a Facebook invite, you ignore it until the event goes away, right? Pretend it's not there. But this invitation from Jesus is here. It is right here this morning. Say yes to it every single day. Number two, to find rest in Jesus' yoke, learn from him in it. Learn from him in it. Did you catch that in the passage? Jesus invites us in, and then he asks us to learn from him. Learn from him. Friends, in the great school of life, there is no greater teacher than Jesus. He is the most brilliant man to ever have lived, and we would do well to sit down, shut up, and listen to him. And not just listen to his teachings, to his precepts, but listen to his practices as well. His practices. Ask this. If you want to find rest in Jesus' yoke, then ask this of yourself. How did Jesus live and what can I learn from it? How did Jesus live and what can I learn from it? Jesus spent time in silence and solitude, talking with God the Father. Jesus was never in a rush, never in a hurry. Jesus listened to others. He was kind. He was compassionate. He was forgiving. Jesus built and fostered community. He took friends and enemies and he turned them into family. Jesus prayed for and forgave his enemies even when, quite literally, they were hammering his hands and nails, his hands and feet with nails to a cross. And Jesus served while he led. We joke about servant leadership here, but Jesus did it. He forgave of his power, giving himself away every single day for the good of our others. Those are Jesus' practices. And I wonder, what would this campus be like if we did that? What would this campus be like? What would the cafeteria be like? What would our classrooms be like? What would the dorms be like? What would our sports teams be like? Does that list not sound great? That's the best neighbor in the entire world. If you had a neighbor that did every single one of those, you'd never move away. You'd invite that person to be part of your family. That's the best teammate in the world. That's the best RA in the world. That's the best chaplain in the world. And the moment you see me not doing that, you call me on it. Because I want to live the Jesus way. Do you? we got to learn from Jesus's not just his precepts. His teachings are good, but his practices too. Finally, To find rest in Jesus' yoke, we need to look at another image that Jesus was fond of. You see, Jesus has an incredible way of pulling beauty out of brokenness. That's what Jesus did with the yoke, isn't it? Jesus took an oppressive and scary image of slavery and bondage, and when he's finished with it, I'm going, sign me up. Where's Jesus' yoke? I want to get into it. That is what Jesus did with the yoke. But he pulled that rabbit out of his hat more than once, didn't he? Because you see, another time, Jesus took an image that is not just, doesn't remind us just of slavery, it reeks of death. What am I talking about? To find rest in Jesus' yoke, trust the cross, not the yoke. That sounds backwards, but track with me for a moment. The yoke does not save us. The cross upon which Jesus died, that is what saves us. 
And by trusting in Jesus' death on the cross, we die to ourselves and we gain access to the yoke. We get to the yoke through the cross and we cannot get it backwards. If we do, we will crush ourselves. If you try to put the yoke on before you trust in the cross... You will crush yourself. Believe me, I have tried. Because the cross is there. The cross that Jesus died upon is there for our failures. It is there for when you forget to put on Jesus is the yoke. It is there when you forget and when you yoke yourself to your boyfriend or your girlfriend or to your activity. Jesus died upon that cross and thanks be to God, he rose again, defeating death three days later to provide space for us in the gaps of our failure. Trust the cross and then accept the invitation into the yoke. Friends, I am weary this morning. Are you? Maybe we ought to give Jesus' yoke a try. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for both the cross, which by trusting in it we gain access to the new life, and thank you for the image of the yoke, which teaches us what the new life is, Lord. We find new life through the cross, and Lord, I believe that we find rest in your yoke. And as we close with a song this morning about rest, may it speak deeply to our weary and burdened souls. I pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus, who died on the cross and invites us into his yoke. Amen.
Give